So we continue Shinjin Mei text study. We are now on the line at that line as all grounds for distinction vanish. Nothing can be compared or described. <clears throat> so commentary. Comparisons are possible only when we make distinction between one thing and the other. When no distinctions are made and no values assigned, comparisons are not possible. In a more refined understanding, all things are arising and passing away in dependence on other things. The timelessness and spacelessness of this dependent arising defies comparisons or analogies. Whatever we can think of by way of comparison is within our own human experience of time and space. We should probably add our own limited human experience of time and space. It does not mean that it cannot be experienced. It's only that any comparisons or analogies are the domain of verbal expressions and language, verbal expressions and language is inadequate to express the experience of something that is free of the workings of time and space. Conversely, when we use comparisons or analogies, we fragment our experience into parts, but our experience of equanimity or one mind transcends all conceptual and even causal relations. The network of causes and conditions that has led to the realization of equanimity is on one level a causal factor, but the discernible quality of causelessness in the personal experience of equanimity makes any discussion of cause rather meaningless precisely because that quality of experience cannot be broken down into parts or relations. So what do we do with that? How do we, should we work with comparisons? Should we compare or should we not? And if we do compare, if we do use the ability to discern and compare, how do we use it? Right, so this is of course not talking about being blank or acting as blank, right? Or acting as not able to uh, discern or see distinctions, right? Um, and of course we do compare. We compare even, when, even before we open our mouth, right? So comparisons, judgments happen all the time. Weighing this against that, right? Saying this is better than this, right? We do it all the time, worse than this, all the time. But what, he, what he's saying here is that all, when, as all grounds for distinctions vanish, nothing can be compared or described. Now, what does it mean grounds of, for distinctions vanish, right? So when he says your comparison is possible, only when we make distinctions between one thing and another, when no distinctions are made and no values assigned. And this is a very important point, no values assigned. Maybe it should be reversed, right? When no values are assigned, then we do make distinctions, but in a completely different way. When we take away the, the, the evaluating things and creating some kind of hierarchies in our mind, then we can actually uh, compare probably in a much more healthy way. So, what do we do with that? How do we work with that? What does it mean to make distinctions while recognizing equality or timelessness or emptiness of all things? Yeah. We'll try it that way first and we'll see if, it, if they hear us. Go ahead. Um, just to, like we'll just have to project your voice. Yes. That this is one of the most difficult things that I had to examine, and I'm not done examining it. And it's really, it's really hard to see distinctions in quality at the same time. I think the closest that I've gotten to it is when I'm teaching. 
um, when I can see that all of my students are in different places in their understanding of whatever I'm teaching them. Um, and I can see their equality, that they're all my students and they're all loved and they're all cared for. But I can also see that there are differences between them. They like to do this, they like to do that. They don't like this and that. They're triggered by different things. But also, they're at a different level of experience, all of them. And just being able to, um, that's what I've been working at as a teacher, is just being able to um, see that they're all equal, but that, that they're all in a different place in their experience. So, yeah, but it's hard to do. Right, it definitely, and so when we make it, you know, we look at it in a practical way, right? So let's say you've been doing something for a while, right? A long time, and you've gotten really good at it, right? Whether it's Zen or something else, uh, practicing, and then somebody new walks in. That person, obviously, you know, if you look at what you know, right, the experiences you have, Right, the depth maybe that you have experienced and this person walking in, there will be uh, differences, natural differences, right? So what does that mean? So here is an, a, just a simple example of, yes, I have more knowledge, I have more experiences and more depth in my experiences, and here is somebody who has less depth, right? So there is more and less in that, right? So that, that's a fact. Simple fact. Now, if I work from if I if I work with that information from an understanding, a deep understanding of equality, then that is actually giving me a platform from which to work on sharing. That's the only thing that matters. The fact that I know more is meaningless. The fact that this person knows less is meaningless. It really is meaningless unless I do something with that that is of benefit. And the way to do something with that, of that uh, the results in benefit is to take away the me versus you. If, if I'm not here as opposed to you or there, then when I know more, then naturally, of course, I'm going to give it. If I work with that, from a perspective of self and other, uh, maintaining self and other, the idea of self and other, then knowing more is actually, can, will you be used, is often is used for giving me a platform to look at you from up above, right? And well, you know, you don't know much, so you are down there. That's made up. That's, that's using it and creating further disease, right? So we could use it and create healing, or we could use it and create further div divisiveness and yeah, further and, and deepening the, the, the level of the disease, right, of, of human being. So seeing distinction, but at the same time, working with them from a place of equanimity. This is what this is talking about. And this is, this is very challenging for us because we see distinctions, but then we are detached or disconnected often from a sense of evenness. So for us, it's either the same or it's different. Right? This is how the, the, the binary way of thinking, right? It's either this or that. But it's this and that. Or it's this that manifests as that. Right? So the differences are expression expressions of equality. And if I don't see that, if I don't, not see, if I don't experience that, then I am going to have no choice but to use it for, uh, as a platform for my sense of self, right? To elevate myself. So, it's a challenge, so, but I wanna, I wanna see where you were at with it. Uh, anyone? Also, Zoom, please, go ahead. Andy, go for it. Hi, good morning. Um, this, this actually really resonated with me, I think, much more than sort of the prior, the language in the prior study sessions. And the reason for it is because when I think about um, sort of the root of my discontent personally, 
it's because I'm constantly comparing myself to others and also comparing myself to me, to my own perception of where I should be or what I should be or what I should have. And, you know, in that is, you know, you know, just a lot of suffering, right? I mean, you're just constantly doing that, so you're never happy with what you have or what you are or where you are. And so I love, I love this language because it says if the distinction vanishes, then you stop comparing, right? So if there's, if you're able to eliminate, you know, the up, I, and the hits, or the bad, the hit, or the perper, you know, those characteristics should fade away, that grasping almost should fade away, and there should be some comfort in just what you are, what you are, what, what is. So I, I may be reading that completely wrong, but, but to me, that this language really resonates. Well, this is, yeah, it resonates because there's something in us that, that uh, has an affinity with that, right? This is not coming from uh, from someone versus others, right? This is coming from us. You know, this text is actually an expression of innate wisdom, right? The person who put it together, yeah, there is a, there was a person who put it together, right? But it's not, it doesn't belong to that particular person, right? It is, it, it's something that is arising the entire practice, right? The wisdom, any wisdom tradition is, is, is an expression or fruit of our expression, right? So that's why you feel that it resonates because something in it is, it, something in you echoes with that, right? Or resonates. But at the same time, there are competing energies within us, right? So there is that and that, yeah, yeah, I, this, is, this is real, this is true. But at the same time, there are other kinds of energies that are competing, right? And often those energies take over and prevail, right? So without an understanding, the conventional reality prevails. That's what that means, right? That's the, the inner conflicts that we often experience. We know, we know how wisdom shows up. We feel it, we experience it. But at the same time, the, the impulsive energies are so strong that they take over the mouth, they take over the hand. While we, we may be in touch with wisdom, something else says, I'm gonna drive now. I'm in charge now. And we say, okay, and we go along with that. That's where discipline comes in, that's where practice comes in. So that's what we need to intercept again and again, right? The voices that say, you are not him or her or that. And you have to fight for your existence. You have to prove something to someone. You have to exist. It's difficult because this is, we're taught to think and function in that way, right? So we go against the grain, as we often say. But thank you, Andy. Connie. So why don't you try to project from there and we'll see if they hear you. If not, we'll give you the microphone. Can you hear Connie? Okay. When I think of this, I think of the individual. Like, oftentimes we are conditioned or maybe we have an instinct for self-preservation mm -hmm. and to act in selfishness. And that's where that distinction comes from and that sort of disease thinking, that comparison. And... I was reading the Dhammapada, whatever, and it was, it was saying how like in meditation, when, I when I'm just concentrated on that breathing, I'm not thinking of any selfish desires, and so I'm practicing just, the more I practice not thinking about myself, the easier it is. So I also think of it as when um, Nyogen was talking about her classroom, it's about seeing a, a community. If I act as one, just one of a sangha, one of a community, that's when the distinction disappears. Because it would be in my, it's, instead of that self-interest now, it's, it's about sharing resources, sharing knowledge. So it's 
to me it's about sort of the untraining of the self and just thinking of just uh, belonging with with a larger organism or community thank you so uh, yeah once again let me just comment on that quickly and then we'll come um, you said self-preservation right that's very true right so there is, uh, we, we actually have confused the meaning of self-preservation, right? So we added something that essentially does not exist, right? Does not exist without us working for it, working on its behalf and preserving it, right? So we, we created, well, not on purpose, but right, it has been created in us, right? A sense of separate self right Sep separate from you from everything else right separate sense of existence right so and we walk around with that and of course it becomes integrated with that uh, there's a mechanism in us of self-preservation obviously right because you know you're going to try to protect the body right you're going to try to protect life right so we have added to that a sense of fictitious self that we are working very hard to protect. So through practice, what we're doing is looking at it and is there something there? We ask the question, what the hell is it? Why am I, why am I so, why am I working so hard to protect, what is it that I'm protecting? We should be interested in that as human beings because we, we devote our entire life to protecting something that when we are about to die, we realize was never there. That's too late. It's too late because we already created a lot of harm up to that point. And it's a shame. It's just a, a life wasted. Right? So we have to realize it today so then we can actually act, live in a way that is more in alignment with who we truly are. That's why it's so essential that we actually stop and take a look. Right? What is it that I'm working hard to preserve? Right? If there's a lion running, running after you, yeah, you're going to run. That's not fictitious. You're not going to say, well, fine, eat me. That doesn't make sense because we're not designed this way. We're designed to run and we have processes in the body that are designed to kick in into action when this happens. It's just that those processes kick into motion and action when they don't need to be. Then there's the fight or flight so often that we don't need to use it. When you get criticized or blamed, what does it, what does it matter? Why does it, what does it matter? Who cares? Who cares? You're a loser. You're lost. You failed. You're... So what? What is it? But we don't stop and think, of, wait a minute, should I even do anything here? Or, hey, why are you... Right away, it becomes, we lash out. And the lashing out makes us think that there is something there to protect. Because obviously we're working, we're doing something. So we're strengthening instead of weakening that illusion. This is, this is real, this, those, this text is as real as it gets. And it's not ancient, it's relevant. Um, I guess piggybacking off of both of what you guys are saying, I, I'd like to um, introduce a helpful distinction um, of, I think maybe it's less about the self and it's more about what would be called the atomized self of, you're talking about it kind of in a distinction of there's this isolated individual and then there's the community and then you get absorbed into the community and you lose a sense of self and all that stuff. I think we only think of that because that's a very modern thing of so much conspires against us feeling a part of something or a community. And so we're kind of so isolated, cut off from any sense of nutrients. Like we, we use the analogy of, of you know, the many branches on a, on a tree and all the leaves they're all stemming from the same root but what do you do when the leaf is just kind of floating in the air it's atomized it's completely severed so what we're talking about here i think 
is a type of individuality, a type of self that is inherent, kind of foreign to us in a lot of ways. So how do you retain what you're talking about in the classroom, of particularity and the universality about it? Um, it's so foreign to us because we only understand ourselves as self and because we're so cut off from, I don't actually want to use the word cut off, but like where we don't recognize our nature anymore, we can't see it, we are inherently dysregulated and we have these moments of fight or flight that we just can't recognize anymore. And what are, like you said, what are we preserving? What are we trying to hold up? And I don't mean that in like a facetious tone because we recognize our response as a response to defend something very precious, but we don't know why, and we don't even know if it's the right moment for it, or if it's, you know, there's just so many things, and so I think so much of what we've talked about in regards to our zazen practice of, of, of it being a constant process of returning home, mm -hmm. returning to the center, and kind of in response to that fight or flight and realizing that that's not just on the cushion, it's everywhere. I think like this is where these kinds of distinctions can be helpful, just real to help get a sense of what's actually there versus I'm not that, I'm not this. It's, I think that when you realize that you contain multitudes and the things that you might be envious about, you do have, you just aren't currently expressing that <laughs> color right now, uh, it becomes a little bit easier and it doesn't, I think it's also, and it's not saying that I don't, I don't struggle with it, it's, it's, it's over time, I think the more you practice, the more you become mindful of those pitfalls. And I think also it becomes something that's not outside of you. Mm -hmm. but, you know, one of the comparisons that I, and distinctions that I really um, have, theoretically had a difficult time with is whenever anybody says something is unprecedented or or um, has never happened before. I mean, just the likelihood of that is, is really low. But for me, it, what it does is it creates a type of distinction of something outside of your understanding and above you and so separated from you um, that you don't recognize yourself in it anymore. But it, that's a preference thing of like whenever anything like you know, horrific in the world happens. We want to understand that it's so alien and foreign to the human experience because we don't want to see that part of ourselves. And and if we agree to take everything, we have to really look at that stuff. And I think that this is what it's getting at. Uh, thank you. So yeah, uh, we don't want to see that part of ourselves. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's 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 good. That's very good. It's very much to the point. Right. It's not that I don't want to see the other. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I don't want to admit that that's me too. I don't want to admit that this is also me. Mm -hmm. That's not the me. That's the me I want to reject. Right. So that's why when we reject the other, we reject a part of ourselves. When we kill another, we kill a part of ourselves. This is what, yes, and, it, and it's true. We, we don't see ourselves in a wholesome, we, as, as a whole, we see ourselves fragmented, yeah. right? We see a, a, a portion or a side of ourselves, the side we want, the other sides we don't want. I'm gonna just push it aside. Mm -hmm. Although we, we do experience those sides, right? We experience uh, judgments, for example. We experience hatred too. Everybody does. And if they tell you no, they're lying. Everybody experiences everything to varying degrees, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Even aggression. So I don't like those who are aggressive because, I, because I'm not owning up to my own aggression. So it's very important what you said. So, so accepting the fact that it's not that you condone, right? It's not that you're oh, great, you know, keep going in that way. It's not that. It's just understanding that this is all parts of the human experience. It's not about liking or not liking, right? We started with that. You have to get beyond likes and dislikes. The whole thing is based on that, right? We get beyond likes and dislikes, well then I can accept this kind of me. I don't wanna accept it. So then, again, back to the likes and dislikes. Um,
One second. I want to make sure that some, so people who have not uh, spoken yet, please let's give them priority. Kakuo? So, uh, yeah, the likes and dislikes. Um, Project. No, no, don't look at them. Look at the microphone. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I was trying to think of a very simple example. So I was thinking about food, likes and dislikes. Most everybody has likes and dislikes. But then, as at the other people were talking, I thought, well, you know, it's really about identity. Are we each a separate identity or are we together somehow in one wholeness? But, you know, okay, if I have no likes and dislikes, then I would just eat everything and it would all be the same. But that's not really, it um, doesn't seem to feel very good. I, I know that, like, for example, when we go to Sashin, almost everybody, no matter what we eat, everybody says, oh my god, the food is so good. Why? Because they paid more attention to it. You know, and so in a certain way, everything is equally good. And yet, you know, if I like this piece of cake better than that piece of cake, it's okay, I guess. And I try to move beyond that. It always annoys me when people say, say like, oh, that's the best slice of pizza in New York. And people wait online. I mean, your, your best pizza is not going to be mine. And we might, you might like a thicker crust or whatever. Like, there's no best. But there's also likes and dislikes. So if you ever try to cook for a group of people, you have to, you know, accommodate likes and dislikes. Not to even mention food allergies or whatever. So like, how can we move beyond likes and dislikes, even with a very simple thing like food? Right. Can Can you turn it around? I just want to say a couple of things about that quickly. So so obviously, um, yes, we have uh, unique flavors, right? So the the unique flavors of each human being, right? We're different. You know, and if we, if we are not accepting the uniqueness, right, we are rejecting the oneness as well, right? One has many kinds. One has many kinds, right? So there's never been, ever, there's never been a, a, a kakuo and never will be a kakuo, ever. It's just, just it. You are just this very unique expression. Never before, never again. That doesn't make you not one. You see, one is not homogenized. That's an idea. This is, and what you said, the problem with that, again, is our binary way of thinking. So we don't know how to work with this and that at the same time. So I'm going to Zazen, I'm equal, equalizing all things, right? So I'm, you know, my flavors I put aside, my preferences, and I'm coming out of Zazen, and again, I'm going to rail at other people, you know, yell at other people because they don't give me what I want. So they don't obey my preferences. Where is the merging there? Where is the merging between what we recognize on the cushion and in our everyday life? Then we live in two worlds, right? So the noumenal and phenomenal that we speak of, the Buddha talked about, right? Or Subhuti, right, asked the Buddha about that and Diamond Sutra. What we're talking about is removing the distinction between the noumenal and phenomenal then, yeah, you sit down and you shut up and you don't move. Then you get up and you do things. And yeah. then you encounter something. You're not going to, look, you know, if you're going to get stuck in traffic, you're not going to like that. Yeah. How is it that you don't like? What do you do with this not liking is, is more important than the fact that you don't like it. How is it? That, how don't you like it? You see what I'm saying? So it's not, well, you know, if we, if we give you a, a, whatever, it's a zucchini cake, right? Zucchini bread, yeah. right? You don't like zucchini bread. Fine, don't eat it. You can be pissed off at us for serving you zucchini cake, yeah. bread, right? But if we're trying to avoid likes and dislikes, you know. We're not trying to avoid, no. You see, not that's. Pick and choose, it says. Don't pick and choose. So how can I not pick and choose if I like zucchini? How can you pick and choose without picking and choosing is the question. How can you pick and choose without being choosy? Picky. It's the pick, it's that, it's, yeah. it's the you behind it that's the problem. Not the, uh, thank you very much, I don't like this, I like that, so I'm gonna either compromise or not eat it. That's it. There's nothing more to it. Eat it or don't eat it. Okay, either way, right? But if I'm offended that you didn't eat it, or if you get pissed off at me that I, they're serving you something you don't like, 
then we are in a whole different realm of me and you and back to our everyday life. This is, we're very good at that. We have mastered that, right? This is our natural realm. It's not, but you get the point, right? One second, one second. Do you see the, the, so it's not, so don't think of it as I'm going to be blank and whatever you guys give me, oh, I love it, it's great. No, that's, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? Honor the uniqueness of your, what you like or what you don't like so much, right? And your expressions too, honor that, but don't make anything of it, right? Honor it, don't make, Honor you, don't make anything of, anything of you either. One second. Anyone else that uh, want to add to that? Yes. I'll get to you. Yeah, I think um, just to kind of add on that, uh, with likes and dislikes, you know, I, mean, I, I started kind of a newcomer here, relatively speaking, so I've been with earlier this year, and there's a lot of like trying to carry to other areas of life. I still have a lot of likes and dislikes. Um, I have more likes and dislikes than when I started. I don't necessarily try to fight that, you know? I think one thing is, um, sometimes we forget that we're asking a question when we like something or dislike it, right? If we're saying, like, what's the best pizza in New York? Some people believe that in their heart, right? This is the best pizza. But they forget there's a question with that. But I think this one line, right, as all grounds for distinction vanish, nothing can be prepared to describe it. It's like, if we take away the question, what's the best pizza in New York, then it's all the same. But if we ask the question, then we're gonna see if there's a difference. And I think it's okay to ask the question as long as we know that we're asking a question. That makes sense. That's, kind of, that's how I look at it. So it's like, I, I feel like it's okay to have likes and dislikes. You know that I'm evaluating this thing. I'm saying, what do I enjoy more? If I take that away, if I stop asking, what do I enjoy more, then it's more Right, so uh, let me just say something and then Milgan. So, so yeah, uh, th there is a line that says, this is the best there is, right? There is nothing better. There's nothing ever better. So if you eat something and you, you know, eat it only, that's fine. But if you don't bring something else in the mind to compare to that, right? So if you don't bring a comparison to your experience, then the experience is perfectly fine, even when you don't like it. If you bring something else in your mind conceptually, right? And you imagine that and you put it side by side, then there is a problem. You're gonna prefer maybe something else. You're gonna prefer something that does not exist. Right? You prefer something that your mind conjures up and say, well, you know, I want this. Then we have a problem. What do you do when you have reality and then you have an imagined idea? What do we do? Often we want the idea. There's a problem. We have to own up to that. We create that problem. We have to own up to that problem. Otherwise, we're going to stay stuck. Right? And be bitter and be angry about things, about life with other people, right? You don't give me what I want. So if we put aside the comparison, then it works. You may, again, it may not be, then you start to come, well, you know, last year I had a better pizza and whatever, you know, less cheese, more cheese, what, right? Put it aside. That's it. And same with meeting people, encountering each other, right? So, well, I don't like him or her right now, you know, I don't like their mood, I don't want it. There's no one else. There's no one else in front of you. So instead of, so, so comparisons lead to rejection. No comparisons, no rejection. Right? Because you're not going to reject. Or if you want to reject, reject the idea. Right? If you really want to reject, if we want to reject, we can do that. Um, it's a little easier with pizza and traffic. Yes. What if you have two people? One person is really kind and, and caring, and they show they show a lot of love. And then one person has been abusive for a long time. Every time they see you, mm -hmm. they're abusive. Yeah. How do you avoid picking and choosing between two behaviors like that? Right. I think that's my question. Right, and the answer to that is actually, there's a simple, well, it's not simple, but universal love is the antidote. Universal love, right? Universal love is not, you know, it may sound like a, a, an idea or whatever, but what we're talking about, unconditionality, right? We're talking about, and this can only um, happen if we turn towards equality, 
right? If, if we turn away from the, the identification with preferences and we turn towards equality, then you, can, you are free to love. Otherwise, we're not free to love. Our love is very intermittent and it's limited to, as Einstein said, actually, to people, only people close to us. And what Einstein said is that our, our job as human beings, right, our mission is to expand that, to expand that sphere, to include everything and everybody. Everything and everybody. That's the universal, that's what we're talking about. So, so understanding equality manifests as, as an expression of universal love. But then, do you expose yourself to this abuse over and over and over again? I don't think that's a case. The question is, what is abuse? I mean, this is a whole different subject, right, or topic. Emotional, psychological? That's the question, right? So there is, uh, we have to in investigate that. It's not so cut and dry, right? Because when you, when you raise a target, you invite arrows. You know that line, right? When you raise a target, you invite arrows. When you walk around with a fixed sense of self, you will get hurt again and again and again and again. It's just the way it works. When you put aside that sense of self and you walk around like water, nobody, most people cannot hurt you. They can only hurt what you hold on to. They cannot hurt flow. I don't know who I am is one way to get into that. I don't know who I am, and it's okay. I don't need to know who I am. If I know who I am, then there will be people who will support that, who I am, and there will be people that will go against that idea of who I am. Always. Always, right? It's just the way it is. To let go of me, this is why, Bodhidharma said, right? The greatest gift you can bestow upon the world is the gift of self. You let go of you, then your life becomes a life of giving, he said. Which is the, the most difficult challenge for us, obviously. Right? Um, this is a high ideal. And um, I don't doubt the truth of it. <laughs> However, at any given moment in our lives or in our development towards this, yeah. There are going to be situations and people mm -hmm. who are much more challenging for us yeah. than other situations and people. And there might be situations and people at any given moment who are so challenging that it may not be skillful at that time to be in, uh, in contact with those people if we have a choice. If we don't have a choice, then we have to work on ourselves a little more. But um, if we're totally collapsing in the face of interacting with this person, uh, then maybe this isn't the way for us to grow right now. So, so yes, uh, we have, it's a practice, right? And we, we, we speak of it as practice. Right? We don't speak of it as uh, failing or succeeding. We just speak of it in terms of practice, right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that line? For, there's a koan, uh, right, in the uh, Shodoku. So bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo, but if you use them now for ropes, will they serve the purpose, right? It's a, it's a very important line because it actually, and the line came up as a way to mirror to us the way we think, right? So, you know, bamboo shoots, right? They used to peel off the... the skin of the bamboo make ropes of it right so if you use uh, bamboo shoots for that it's very weak it's not going to be a good rope it will tear it will break right so and we think of it well you know what do you want from me i haven't been practicing for that long you know i'm, I'm a beginner here right so leave me alone i'm gonna make a lot of mistakes right there is a problem with that while it may be true there's a problem with that way of thinking because then i am not seeing this is the only opportunity i'm seeing a future me me uh version better version of me right later on i will be able to do it but not now that's not the way we practice from the moment we walk into a practice center we are asked to practice fully 100 percent 
Not 20%, that's all I've got. I'm 80% flawed. 20% good, 80% flawed. No, you're 100% all the time. Day one after 40 years, right? So the expectation is always the same. And that's a problem for us, right? That way of understanding. Because well, what do you want from me? That's all I can do today. But all, what you do today is 100% already, regardless of your idea of it. Or, so put aside the, 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 the value or evaluating yourself. Don't evaluate yourself. Then you're 100%. But the action might be different. Of course the actions are different. The actions are different. The words are different. The experiences are different. But that does not that does not make you not complete, right? Even feeling defeated doesn't make you incomplete, right? You still complete. You fall down, you get up. You fall, who cares how many times? Don't count. Don't count. So, no comparison is actually a good way to. I think it's a great way to practice. Right? So you sit and you practice. Well, my zazen yesterday was better than today. That's a pitfall. Right? I did better than yesterday. You know, the, the meatballs yesterday were better than... Who cares? Throw them away. If you don't like them. I don't know. Give it to the neighbors. Um, anyone else? Yeah. And also on Zoom, please uh, feel free to unmute and speak. I had a comment, but it goes back a couple of conversations back to um, likes and dislikes, um, and that um, looking forward to Ango and our topic of karma. Yeah. And uh, um, it would be interesting to, to explore during Ango um, how our likes and dislikes are the result of karma that. Um, it's accidental the particular likes and dislikes that we all have. And the, um, the sentence before, beholding the myriad dharmas in their entirety, um, each of our expressions is an expression of the dharma. Mm -hmm. right? And beholding the myriad yeah. dharmas is the amazing variety of likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. um, but they're just varieties of likes and dislikes. They're not something that is more substantial or more uh, significant. Uh, um, and I was thinking that um, there seem to be three areas to go forward. Um, um, how we reason, how, what our morals are, and what our aesthetics are. Mm -hmm. What we think is um, tasteful or beautiful and so on. What we think is um, the right thing to do and what we think is the right way to think. Like how could somebody believe something so stupid? And, um, each one of those, I think, deserves our attention because in each one of those areas, we really are very much committed, as you were describing. Uh, and it's very difficult to not be so committed when um, it seems that our lives are dependent on us. Mm -hmm. um, so as we go forward in thinking about karma, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where those ideas come, why we are committed to those things we're committed to, um, and then how we're going to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, Wukan, can you please? Wait. Does anybody else want to I really like that. Anyone? You want to say something about that? Yes. I say. really like what did you say. I think it's um, very relevant that we, I mean, like, I like the three realms of things that you mentioned, of uh, that we get. I think the main, the main issue I found on, on, on the way we act on values is that we actually think that we have more universality on those values. We think they are kind of very important, like you said it, you said yourself just now, about how they seem to be relevant, they seem to be relevant to our kind of well-being or livelihood. You know? and, and, and that I think is, is the key to, to how, why we defend them so much, why we get so attached to our likes. It's not about having likes, it's about having being attached. It's about discussing and fighting with somebody about what the best pizza is instead of just enjoying the pizza. You know, and because, it's, you know, the like and dislike is like, okay, I prefer this pizza, I want to eat this pizza instead of that pizza, fine. The problem is that, like, I need everybody else to agree with me that this is the best pizza. 
you know, and, and that's, that's how we turn it into some of a problem. I mean, the pizza is very mundane, even though, you know, if you take to a soccer fan, killing each other because, <laughs> you know, that happens, you know. Right. And, uh, so, and it's the same thing. And then you can get raised to the same concept on other things. Okay, I don't, I don't do this kind of thing. I recycle every time. If you don't recycle, you're a crook. You know, and, and that kind of behavior that gets us into into righteousness and into some sort of you know, and I think that likes and dislikes are are, are an easy pitfall for that. Um, and I I agree that we should observe them. That we should like not we shake the likes and dislikes, but don't make anything more than a decision for an action mm -hmm. and not something to defend. You know, that's, nobody is saying that you need to go and be friend of the person that abused you. But, you know, that person will exist anyway, and so it's your choice of how you kind of interact with them or how, you know, like, and, and, those, and I agree with, with, with Sayoko, who was very wise. It's like, well, not every time the fight is the same. Not every time the encounter needs to be into an encounter where endurance of the abuse is part of it. Maybe sometimes you need to just like, I cannot take this, this today. Maybe some days are better suited for it. And those distinctions are the, the toughest things that we need to decide. And those are partial enough to be also kind of adding to that the defense of our lives. You know, that distinction of what the upaya is today. How do I act today? With this, with whatever it is in front of, um, yeah. <clears throat> right. So, so right. So, so it's workable, right? So it has to be workable, right? It has to. So we have to shift from what is fixed to what is workable, right? So as long as I am holding on to a fixed self, a fixed other, then it's 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 not. It's very rigid. It's not workable, right? Or it's workable within very uh, um, specific parameters. If I open it up in all directions. Well, what do I, the question, does it raise a question or does it raise um, a statement, right? If it raises a question, I can work with that. If it raises a statement, there's a problem, right? So what's the question here? It's the way to work with it, to keep it open, right? So uh, also, uh, if you remember at the beginning, to live, to, uh, to live in a state of choiceless awareness. Remember one of the translations, right? a state of choiceless awareness. So, and that's a state that's possible only when we turn towards equanimity. Because we don't even know what that means. Conceptually, well, okay, I understand it, maybe I don't, but it doesn't matter. But if we have an experience or some, ex some level of experience of choicelessness, right? Awareness that is choiceless. Then, okay, I can connect with that or I'll do what I can to connect with that. Sometimes I will, sometimes I will not. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Still, the objective is to keep coming back, as you said, to return home, keep coming back to that sense of choicelessness, choiceless awareness, the even, the equanimity, whatever you call it, right? So, yeah. So I'm gonna move on to the next uh, uh, line so we can maybe cover that. And again, feel free to speak, uh, even if you wanna go back and Speak about the previous, that's fine, previous line. So when what is still moves, there is no motion. When what is moving stops, there is no stillness. Another translation, consider movement stationary and the stationary in motion. Both movement and rest disappear. So the commentary, we have been exploring the noxious, the poisonous, hold that opposite thinking has in our lives. Would you agree? Right? Opposite thinking is poisonous, is harmful. It has a hold in our, on our lives. In our dualistic thinking, we create categories and position them in opposition to each other. We delude ourselves into thinking that each category has some independent quality unique to itself and not available to its opposite category. The classical Taoist symbol of yin and yang shows the limitation of this dualistic approach. In this symbol, yin and yang each has distinct qualities, light and dark, 
but each car carries a trace of the other. At no point, therefore, is yin holy yin or yang holy yang. It is at all times yin yang as one word, regardless of the dominant focus of or on yin or yang in any given moment. In yin yang, both yin and yang disappear as invisible yin or invisible yang. There is a, there is a sense here in which all opposites are transcended by the unity of the whole that exists without opposites. So, I think I mentioned before that, you know, O-sensei spoke about Aikido and, and he mentioned that when you are performing a technique, one hand has to be yin and the other one yang. And they're actually unified in your center, right? So the yin and yang are both working together, right? So one hand you absorb, the other one you extend, and, but it's not too much this or too much that. Often it is too much this or that, right? So often in our way of being, right, physically or emotionally, psychologically, we are going too far in one direction. Either we feel defeated or we feel like, you know, everybody is against us and all that, and we absorb, absorb, absorb. Or we are too aggressive. We go out, 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 right? So what we're talking about, this is talking about is, you know, ha see both and actualize both at the same time. How much of this, how much of that has to do with the moment, has to do with the encounter, right? But it has to be dynamic, not based on what you think you should be doing as much as what is life asking me to do in terms of the balance or yin-yang balance. It's always present, but what do I need to express now? Or no, what does life, what is life asking me to express now? So, now, where are we at with when what is still moves, there is no motion. When what is moving stops, there is no stillness. In relation to that commentary. Any thoughts about that? Any yeah, speak. I guess I can kind of, like, kind of think of it of, um, you notice animals more when they stop, in the sense of I get a lot of deer outside my house. I don't notice them when they're kind of moving and eating and doing whatever. I'll, I just happen to walk by a window and I see them and they see me, and suddenly there's, your brain can fixate on them and see it and it's now it's not moving at all but you know it's kind of there and I, I guess kind of like a harebrained way of saying of like the minute your brain fixates on something it's not moving it what was it um you know what is when what is still moves there is no motion when what is moving stops there's no stillness of kind of now the the not stillness is the fact that you can't think of anything other than whatever you're fixating on so you drop you drop the opposite yeah. right so so when you drop the opposite when, when everything is moving mm -hmm. there's nothing that's not moving or even in zazen when my nose gets itchy right all i can think of is scratching it exactly <laughs> right so so so, so when, when everything is in motion mm -hmm. there is no motion because everything is moving right so, so motion what we call motion is is possible right to see it as separate when we hold on to some this is this is still now this is moving in relation to that mm -hmm. but, but when you take out that it's not moving in relation to anything so it's not moving mm -hmm. the word moving implies that which is not moving right right implies as its opposite or you know how many people ask you know how is the earth rotating so fast when i don't feel it spinning <laughs> because, right, because, because, right, we're talking about merging, right? right. So when, when merged, when merged, there is nothing else. There's no one else. Everybody and everything is included in that, mm -hmm. right? There's nothing outside of that. And it's the same with what we call stillness, right? So if there is stillness and then you, you, you get rid of the idea of motion, there's no stillness. So that's why in the commentary, you know, it says, that we've been exploring the noxious whole, the opposite thing has in, on our lives, right? Mm -hmm. This is, so it's that binary of thinking, this, all that, this, 
Right? It's not this and that, it's this or that. It's you or me. So the whole notion of protecting oneself is based on me versus you. But if I, if, I, if I disappear as the opposite of you, you disappear as the opposite of me, then, then we're one. I think circling back a little bit in relation to this, but to the, you know, the, the whole food discussion, I think something for me that's been acute for most of my life and, and my struggles with food has been the, that sense of defensiveness and when it's sometimes it's overt of having to defend your likes and dislikes or why you don't like that yeah it invites like that feeling like you're always on trial but i think the hidden evil in that is that it translates from the less obvious uh, from the obvious to the less obvious where now everybody's suspect everybody's looking at me and judging me and now i have to feel like i have to defend myself to everybody right. And, oh, I'm, you know, when the food comes out at a party, I'm going to go, like, use the bathroom for a while. It's like avoiding a slow dance at a school, like, like you know, right. normal or something. Like, you're trying to get out of stuff, and so you kind of make yourself scarce at moments that might, you might be called on to defend yourself. And I think, for me, I, I've said this story a number of times, but it was really amusing and enlightening the first time I eat at Sashin and Zazenkai to realize nobody was looking at me <laughs> and, and that it was all me you know to hear the cavernous echo of yourself is, is something really quite astonishing um, it feels like an empty courtroom and so it's nice to kind of put that aside but yeah that's um, I don't know like what you're saying again about me versus yeah that that dichotomy that it's in creating an inherent opposition it's hidden in the words even if you're not saying it outright it's, uh, right so what we're trying to nurture is that right so you just mentioned uh, the the way we work as a sangha right so we are nurturing allowing equality right we are nurturing um, accommodating mm -hmm. right there's room you, you know it's fine whatever you do is fine yeah. it's fine just keep doing that and work with that. Work with what comes and see what you, what you, what you can explore in that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what we need to do as a Sangha, I'm not saying we're always you know, doing a great job at it, you know, we can definitely improve on it, but how are we with each other? Because we trigger each other, right? Mm -hmm. Because you do something and then somebody else says, well, I don't like that. Maybe, maybe the thought comes up and says that, right? And, and that's okay, right? There's room for that thought too. Doesn't mean that anything needs to be said doesn't mean I need to do anything about it or with it. So, yeah. Uh, we, we're gonna wrap it up sh uh, shortly, but let's, let's uh, give everybody a chance to speak, if you wanna speak. So, Kakuo, please. Oh, somebody on Zoom. Okay, so how about Kansui, then Kakuo? Thank you, good morning. Um, the energy that um, comes up for me is that Thank you. Uh, Kako? Uh, yeah, I was I thinking about um, dance, you know, I'm very into dance and, and uh, as an observer, as I guess. So, uh, yeah, thinking about dance um, and the nonverbal part. So, like, when what is still moves, there is no motion. When what is moving stops, there is no stillness. If I express myself just through movement, you know, instead of saying, I like this pizza, I just go, like, <laughs> It's that way there's sort of moving and stillness like at the same time because I'm not using words. And I was also thinking when I read this, or when you were saying, I was thinking about the rock garden, you know, the Japanese, I don't know if there's another culture that does a, a garden of rocks. The rocks are not growing, they're just, you know, the, the, the pebbles and the rock garden, it's just, it's not moving at all. It's not, has no life, the rocks don't have any life at all. 
When we look at them, those are really still. Those rocks are not on anyway. So that's a kind of a stillness that, in that case, I, I think, it's a, when, it's, when it's moving stops, there is no stillness, because if it's a thing that's alive, it's moving, it's still, it's still, it's moving. If it's a rock, it's just, that's it. <laughs> so that's why we have a line that says that the big mountain walks, right? It walks along the stream. The big mountain, the rocks. Obviously, it is moving, right? So very, very, very slowly, right? So, but we are so self-centered that for me it's not moving, so it must not, it must not be moving, <laughs> right? Because from my limited perspective, this is still. That's not true, right? It's, it's the same as saying, well, um, you know, looking at the sun, rising or not rising, right? You know, it's, yes, it's rising for me, right? But is it? Is it rising? Is it setting? No. Right? So we have a limited perspective. It's okay to, as long as we understand that it's limited, as long as we understand that from my perspective, it seems that way. Right? But that's okay. From your perspective, you may see something different. Well, obviously, you're seeing something different. <laughs> right? Because, and that's okay. There's room for that. Right? So, um, somebody on Zoom, please. Yes, Valentina. Um, so this is kind of going back a little bit to the you versus me idea. Um, but I've been recently working as a receptionist at a medical office that um, kind of uh, helps people who are in pain, like with arthritis or something. They do like some pain management injections or whatever. So we get a lot of really crabby old people coming in. Um, and so they kind of look at me, you know, and I look young to them. And I guess I kind of look incompetent and a lot of the times they come in and they're just like really angry at me for no particular reason. Um, and so it was really funny because uh, I, I was still kind of in training at the time and one of the other receptionists warned me that while I was uh, alone at the desk after she had left for the day, there was going to be one man who was going to come in and be nasty. <laughs> and so it was days before it happened that she just saw him on the schedule and was like, he is going to be rude and mean, and you're going to have to fight him because he's not going to want to give you this insurance information. And <laughs> I thought it was so funny that, you know, it probably has nothing to do with him hating us as people. Um, he's just probably in a lot of pain and is angry about having to like maneuver into his wallet to take out his insurance card. And these other receptionists were so mad, you know, as if he was personally attacking them. Um, and so the man came in and yeah, he was, he was really angry um, about me asking for his insurance card, you know. Um, but I just kind of smiled through it and kept doing what I needed to do to like, check him in. Um, and after a little bit, he kind of softened up, you know, when I didn't immediately attack him back. He just kind of became, you know, a normal human being, I guess, a nice human being. And so I thought it was really interesting thinking about the you versus me that these uh, receptionists like just assumed days in advance, they started suffering days in advance about this man that was coming in to attack me. You know, it wasn't even for them. And it wasn't even attacking me, so, yeah. Right, that's a good point, right? But we perceive it, uh, we take it, we take things personally, right? We're very good at doing that, right? But then, you know, yielding to that, right? Making space and yielding. And say, like, well, this person is experiencing something right now, right? And that's all they can do. They, they, they may not be able to do this, anything different, right? So then allowing, making space for that, can change the way we react to it and also change the way we react to it can change the way the person experiences the moment too, right? So if we resist that, we strengthen that, they will become more pissed off. But when we ease up and allow for that, what we are bothered by is going to change. So in other words, we have a lot of power. I think we don't realize you know, we live our lives from, from a very, very limited sense of self. That self is, has very little power. But there is so much more power out there 
when this self starts to fade away, we realize I am much more powerful than I could ever imagine. Only when I put myself down, maybe that's what, you know, he's putting me down. Maybe that's what we need to do, right? Let, let it be, be put down. Let it be blamed. Let it be criticized. Let it. Because that's how others are helping you deepen your practice, right? Let them do it. All right. Thank you. We're going to wrap it up. So, four vows. Thank you.